Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends Sean Walker of Simple Co. Hey, dudes. Hey. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hello, Hui. Hello, Sean. What's going on? This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank our newest patrons, Jeremy Marks, Tim Holliner, and Chad at Hickory Custom Builds. If you'd like to show your support, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. And please stick around towards the end of the show. We're going to be briefly talking about what we've got each of us have going on in our own shops. Uh, with that, let's get right into it. Guy, you've got the first question. Well, my first question is from Chris Custom Woodworks. And before I read Chris's question, I've got a question about questions, which is we need your questions. This show you know, lives and dies by how many questions we have. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you guys send us your questions. Um, you can go to our contact page at Woodshop Life. Was it Woodshop Life? podcast.com sean yes yes Mm -hmm. and uh there's a a button there you can click and a a form you can fill out and uh, that would be great anyways on to chris's question i've tried making finger joints box joints i bought the flat grind blades and used the common technique of making grooves in a sled and then shifting the pieces over into the slot shim that i've created It starts out fine for boards less than four inches, but for boards greater than four inches, I can't get them to fit just right. Either they won't join together or they're too loose. What am I doing wrong? I don't want to have to remake the sled jig, but will do do so if it means I can get boards of any size to fit properly together. How do you guys go about making box joints, Chris Custom Woodworks? Well, it's kind of weird I take this question because up until maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I had never made a box joint. I I don't like the way they look. Um, That being said, I have seen quite a few people. I think you have, we made like the sled with a little piece of wood you put in there and shift it over one at a time. I've made the green and green style finger joints, which are much larger. I've never yeah. made the small finger joints. And so this is going to be a good question, I think, for all of us, because I don't exactly. I mean, I know yeah. the technique for making this type yeah. of finger joint. Well, what, what it is, you have to you have to size first. You have to to, to, to figure out, you know, the, 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 the blade size, mm-hmm. but you have to fit a piece in there. Yep. That's exactly the same size as that curve of the blade, which right. can be, you know, an eighth of an inch. It can be a half inch. Right. It has to be exact same size and it has to be over the exact same distance from your next right. that's slot in the thing. Yeah. So for people that don't know what it is, it's, it's a board and it, it, it stands vertically and goes into a, a, a slot in your miter slot, your miter slot, mm-hmm. and you push it across like a dado stack, and then you take a, a 
a piece of wood that's the size of that groove and you stick it in that slot. Mm-hmm. Then you can take that and you move it over the exact amount of the groove that the blade is cutting mm-hmm. and you cut another groove. Yep. And you can use that and move the boards in between. There's plenty of videos out there on how to do it. I think William Ng probably has the best one if I remember. Yeah, I would um, suggest looking at that one for sure. Yeah, he's 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 got one. I don't know if he did it or it was one of its cohorts that did it. It's a fairly old video. I remember watching it a while back. But he did a really good job explaining it. There are also a lot of pre-made jigs available to do it. Um, yeah. I when I did it, I used the i I think it's like the i box joint jig from yes. Ankara. Yep. I remember that. Um, and that's the reason I used it because Ankara gave me one and they said, you know, make a video and they paid me a bunch of money. And I said, okay, fine. Um, but actually it worked really well. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's really super adjustable. I think, I think they're about $150. Mm It's, it's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. Um, the shop made jigs do work, but they take a lot of, as you found out, Chris, they take a lot of, uh, futzing around to get them to work right. And it really has to do with the distance between the the, the, the slot Shit. you're actually cutting and the little nub that the other one fits over. Yeah. Um and I, I you can I can also use my my Incra uh fence system on my router table that will also do box joints. Right. So Sean, what have you used to make box joints in the past? I use the uh, Inker iBox. I purchased it. I've used it maybe, maybe twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't make uh, box joints, finger joints. I just, I just, I would rather go for a miter or go for a dovetail. I don't, and I can't remember why I bought it. I had a project to do uh, and I just thought that it would be, I don't know. I just thought it would be a little bit quicker, but even with the iBox jig, it takes, you got to dial it in and test it and dial it in and test mm-hmm. it. But once the, it's dialed in and tested, that's it. That's what I was going to say literally next. But I'm yes, sorry. I'm sorry. it's still my thunder. Um, but once you dial it in, it's good to go. Yeah. But it's that's the difference between that and, and what Chris is using is just they make it easier to dial it dial in. Dial it in. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. You two are on the point tonight. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> just just answering yeah, i guess y'all ready to here. talk i know oh, i'm gonna pass it to we then how about what uh, you got about the ibox jig do you have one of those or did you make your own uh, i don't have an ibox jig i have rocklers like equivalent to something like that it's obviously it doesn't have as many features as the Incra, but uh it, it's similar in the sense that it is adjustable and uh, the size of the uh, groove too is adjustable so the size of the the shim piece is adjustable and then also the distance from that shim piece to the blade is adjustable uh so it's dependent you know i i I suspect that the reason is so that you can use a dado blade anything that's uh bigger than an eighth of an inch so i don't have experience making this kind of a jig but my my guess is that if he's able to make boards that are less than four inches fit together okay and they're fine my guess is that he does have a little bit of inaccuracy in that gap that spacing between the shim and the blade and so now anything that's greater than four inches he's just compounding that inaccuracy more 
yeah, uh, on the wider ba- bl- uh, boards. It's, it's and cumulative. It's cumulative, exactly. And so he's either making it, you know, if he, if he's compensating it for too much, uh, then it, it might be too loose or too tight, you know, whatever direction he's compensating in. Yeah. So I'd still that, rather have him, I'd still rather have him too tight than too loose. I would rather have him too tight than too loose, but. My guess is that that's the issue. Is, I'd rather is have really... neither for box joints. That's a pain in the butt. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt. Um, that sounds like it sounds like that's what the issue is. That um, that spacing might be incorrect. So he might have to make that jig over again, and it just might be a case. Again, you got to watch some of these videos because I, I I don't know exactly how you dial in that spacing, but there yeah. are techniques to get that spacing perfect. Yeah. W- yeah. One thing that you, I've never made one of these, but one thing you could perhaps do is put a, a sacrificial fence, auxiliary fence on the front of your fence to put that spacer in there and allow, you know, that way you can slide it to the left or to the right, mm. just right. a little bit, maybe have a T track behind it or something that you can tighten them in and allow you to slide that, that finger piece or whatever you want to call it to dial it in. Yeah, uh-huh. so that way he's not remaking the whole sled, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, just the backer. I think and, that's a good idea. And plus, it allow you to use different size fingers or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, grooves. Yeah, you know, Chris, it, it's a good question. I wish we could be more help on your specific jig, but I can just tell you from making you know multiple jigs for all kinds of crazy stuff over the years. Nothing ever works exactly the way it's supposed to the first time when you're making a shop made jig. They all require a lot of futzing and a lot of patience to get it to do exactly what you want it to do and for it to be perfect. Um, You can go the route of getting a store-bought one, which it sounds like we, Sean and I have done. Uh, but those still take initial setup and a little bit of futzing around, just not as much. Right. I, I guess that's the bottom line. If you're if you're willing to take the time to to mess around with it and tinker with it, you'll get it to work eventually. Yeah. So, all right. So, who's got the next question? Uh, me. Yep. Okay. All right. This is from. Let's see which one do I want to take. This is from Brendan. Hello again. Hope all is well. Perhaps this is somewhat of a tool true woodworkers would never use, but I've always thought CNC machines are really cool and have always wanted to get one in my shop eventually to make custom signs, jigs, gifts, and whatever more intricately detailed things I couldn't do by hand. Have you guys ever used a CNC machine for anything at any point? Or maybe more importantly, would you use one? Why or why not? Keep up the great work with the podcast, Brendan. Well, um, I can, without a doubt, say I don't think Brendan follows us on social media or <laughs> watches too many of our videos, but, you know, you don't have to. Uh, all three of us have CNC machines. Um, yeah. And about the tool true woodworkers would never use, you know, I, I, I could not care less what what other woodworkers think about the tools that I own. You know, if I want a tool and I know that I, I will use it and I can justify it, I buy it. Don't worry about what people think about what tools you use. Oh, if yeah. you're a hybrid woodworker, hand tool woodworker, a, a CNC machine only tool worker, a, a turner, doesn't matter. Buy the tool that you that you like, that you think that you will use, uh, and who cares what people think. Mm-hmm. I own a Shipoko XL. Uh, I use it for, I started with 
uh, doing a lot of templates for uh, bar stools and tables and, and whatnot. It's amazing for for templates, uh, signs, and even for more artsy stuff. Like uh, probably over a year ago, I made a box where uh, for the lid, I had a bird's eye maple lid. I cut out a really neat design for that quarter inch lid that you inset into the to the grooves. Um, it came out great and it looked awesome. Um, I think the video is on my channel or some other channel that I made it for, but, um, you know, and I also used it recently for a lot of, uh, what is the, the pick guard or whatever they're called fingerboards for on a guitar. Mm, I did a uh, commission work over the past couple of weekends cutting out some, uh, uh, fingerboard cut pick guards, whatever they're called, uh, out of three and four ply PVC material. There's these really awesome looking sheets, uh, from, uh, a Farnsworth guitars on Instagram. Uh, I think I cut 10 of those out. So, I mean, you can use a, a CNC machine for a lot of stuff. If you have the software, like the, uh, Vectric, was it called Aspire? Aspire. Yeah. If you have that, you can do 2d, 3d, um, templates, signs, and the options are really endless on what you can use it for. I mean, I've seen people make entire mitered boxes, out of mm-hmm. uh, just using their CNC machine. And um, once you learn the software, you know, take something, whatever you're doing, like I use SketchUp and so I export my files to um, a PDF or something like that. And then I throw that in the software to make the uh, the tool paths and then bam, I got templates and they're exactly like my drawing. Um, yeah. And like I was saying, the options are endless. I would not worry what people think. They're fun machines to have in your shop. Um, depending on how much money you have and the room you have kind of dictates what you're going to buy. Uh, right. you know, if you want to save some money and, or you don't have room and you don't have, you know, a lot of money, you can get to ship Oco and just be prepared to spend half a day putting it together. And, and just know that, you know, it's, there's a difference between a ship Oco versus something like an avid CNC that guy and, and, uh, can speak about in the, in the machine that we got, but mm-hmm. they're awesome machines. They're fun to have. I would, if I had to start my shop over uh, without a doubt, the CNC machine would be on that list. And, uh, you know, they're great for, if you can get the commission work, it's, it's awesome for that. There is a learning curve, but it, it just, it's, they're fun tools to have in, in your shop. And I put mine to work all the time and would not have a shop without a CNC machine. Mm. But, you know, we talk a little bit about your, your opinion on a tool that true woodworkers would never use and how you use your machine. Yeah, I think I probably was in that camp at one point thinking, was like, why would I get a CNC? You know, I'm doing this purely for the joy of it. And why, why would I ever do that? Well, I can say this. I think they're cool and they're a lot of fun <laughs> to use. And I think that's a perfectly good enough reason to have one if that's what you want it for. But I have used it. I mean, I've found a lot of different reasons to use the CNC for things. I mean, I've got I get called all the time by a local uh, awards maker. Uh, she's constantly needing like a cer- a platform of a certain shape or this weird star or whatnot, and she comes over with a sheet of plywood. Like, can you cut this out really quick? <laughs> no problem. Let me cut it out for you. And and it, it I'm just. I'm using it all the time for little projects like that. And um, it's kind of nice to be able to um, use the software. And because I've become somewhat proficient with the software, it's, it becomes relatively like, almost like second nature to do. Um, it is a little bit of a learning curve. But uh, yeah, true, true woodworking. I mean, 
woodworking spans a lot of different disciplines uh, on top of just woodworking in itself, uh, the actual cutting of the wood. So I, I don't know. I, I think if it intrigues you, if it's something that you want to do, go for it, man. There's nothing wrong with it. And don't worry about what other people say. Now, Guy, you just recently got a new CNC. You got an Avid, right? Correct. And what was your impression at first about CNC machines? And now the fact that, you know, you 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 got in, I think, originally with Chipoko, uh yeah. and got one. And and then you recently upgraded to to this uh, Avid. What was your original thought? Like, did you ever well, see yourself ever using something like that? When I, when I, when I <clears throat> first got the Chipoko, I wanted because I still uh, to this day, I still do a lot of bent laminations and, and curved work. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was a, a really great tool to make templates with. Yep. Um, you could just, you know, do it in the software, in the virtual world, bring it into reality, and then cut it out on a piece of MDF really super quick, super accurate, and perfect every time. Right. So it saved a lot of time there. Um, but it, it was... Shape Oko is a really good machine, but it, it lacks the accuracy to do certain things. Um, it just doesn't have the, if you want to make like jigs and templates where you need to be within a couple thousandths of an inch, the Shape Oko is not the machine for you. It, it'll, it'll get close, but it won't, it's, it's not that good. Um, it's good for, for the price you pay for it. I think it's an extremely good value, but don't expect industrial level accuracy from it. The Avid is a very expensive machine. My wife thought I was crazy when I said I was going to buy one of these things. Uh, and it is an industrial level machine, not to the, the point of like it's you know, an $80,000, $90,000, $100,000 machine like some people have. But uh, it's pretty decent size. It works very well. And <clears throat> unfortunately, I have not had much of a chance to use. I've made like a half a dozen small items with it, just cutting things out. You know, people needed this or needed that. Yeah. Kind of like what you were talking about, Hui. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't really u- utilized its, its full potential yet. And that's, that's my own fault. Um, because it is a, a very capable machine. So, yeah. but as far as the whole, it's not woodworking. Okay. You think whatever the hell you want. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this because I care what people think about what I'm doing. I'm doing it because I enjoy it. And a, you know, a, I enjoy it and B I make money at it. Mm-hmm. So, that's why I, that's why I do it. So regardless of what machine I'm using or what technique I'm using, it doesn't matter what other people think. Who cares? Absolutely. And what is, what exactly is true woodworkers? What, Mm -hmm. what is that? Because if you go by that, then any power tool, you know, they're going to, you know, frown upon using. Yep. If you go, if you look at that, you can either do it. I mean, that's all these tools do is they just, (laughs) it makes it easier and it saves time. You can do everything by hand. You know, joiner, planer, bandsaw, table saw, router. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. another another tool that you can use to uh, to make stuff with, and it's yeah. just it's fun to use. And 
you can do a lot with the CNC machine if you think you about really, it. You really can, yeah. Remember, you made all the templates for the your bar stool, right? Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. And the, even the bent lamination. Yep. Um, pretty much the entire thing on that bar on the bar stool. Yeah. But yeah, I say go for it if you want it. You have the room, you have the money, and you're interested in learning it. Because again, it's not just turn it on and go. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to do some learning. Yeah. So, yep. All right, we believe you have the next one. Yeah, this is from Mike at MGS Carpentry. Hi, guys from across the pond in the UK. Love the podcast. The time in the shop is more enjoyable when I'm listening to you guys laugh and chat about your woodworking knowledge. This is so cute, isn't it? It's a great help and has answered so many of my questions already. I wanted to ask your advice on shaker cabinet doors. I make a lot of shaker doors for cabinets, alcove units, and fitted wardrobes. The problem comes when painting. I don't spray anything and use water-based finishes. I use a water-based wood primer undercoat and then an acrylic eggshell top coat. I lay the doors flat and level on my bench. As soon as the first coat of undercoat goes on, the the door bows badly. It bows with the center going away from from you on the painted Mm -hmm. side. About uh, after about half an hour, the undercoat has gone off. I'm off gassing is what I'm guessing. Um, enough to for me to flip the door and paint the other side, which then flattens the door back out. But it sometimes doesn't go back to what it should. And also, this just doesn't feel great to me. Uh, with my straight edge, the door is perfect after glue up sanding, but it's never this good after painting. Any tips on what I could do and missing when it comes to finishing these doors? Would love to hear from you guys and keep up the good work. Love the show and keep producing great work. Thanks, Mike. Um, so I think there are a couple things that are that might be going on here, uh, or just one of, uh, a, or a combination of of the things that I think might be going on. So one, it might be a case of the material that you're using. If you're using some type of uh, poplar, maybe even maple, and depending on you know how wet or dry it is coming into your shop, and then what the uh, environment of your shop is. And then if you're sealing it with the water base, uh, primer or coat on one side, you know, it might be off gassing or absorbing, um, moisture and it just causes it to bow. The other thing that I thought is maybe changing your undercoat, um, maybe with like a bin zinser shellac based, uh, sealer might help, uh, with, with this issue. I've used water-based primers before on such types of doors, shaker style uh, doors with an MDF core um, panel. Um, I've never had this happen to me before, uh, at least not to the extent that you're talking about, Mike. Um, So those are the only two things or maybe a combination of those two things that might be an issue that might be causing the issue that you're having. Guy, I know you've done a lot more finishing particular, well, cabinet doors and I have, and you've also uh, do a lot more production work than any of us do in your shop. Are there any tips or tricks that you guys use that, or have you experienced this and know exactly what he might be experiencing and how he could possibly fix it? If they're shaker doors, that tells me, you know, that there's rails and styles and a Mm -hmm. panel that sits in grooves inside those rails and styles. Right. I 
don't understand how just using a water-based product on one side is enough to make everything bow. Mm. I just don't see it happening. Mm -hmm. Maybe the panel a little bit, but it's not going to bow the rails. Yeah, and he's... You know what I mean? The 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 frame is still going to lay flat, I think. So I would hope so, yeah. And that's what he's saying yeah, is that when he's I, I machining just, all these out, it's flat. So I mean, if you've got a frame, if you've got a frame around that panel, it can't really do anything because it's yeah. sitting inside the groove. Yeah, and that that the rails, which are you know the horizontal piece, are going to keep it flat. Right. Right. I I don't. Maybe yeah, especially I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding the question, but well, I think you're understanding it the same way we are, at least. So maybe I'm misunderstanding it too. I I just don't see how that's possible. Yeah. So what you're saying is, for like a a tall door, you're going to have it split mm -hmm. into two, and you're going to have that divider in the center. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. So why would that? You've got something in the center that's adding stiffness to the door. Yeah, yeah, I just I just don't see a door just turning into a potato chip. Maybe sometimes a little bit, but I've never really I've never had that problem. I've shot a lot of water-based products on on frame and panel doors and I've never had that problem. Yeah, your whole kitchen was uh shaker style, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, all But like I've done, I've done stuff I've done stuff like that before with just, you know, regular you know, water-based latex paint, mm. rolling it and brushing it on. I've never yeah. had the issue. It's the same thing. Yeah. And that would be about the equivalent of what he's dealing with here yeah. because he's rolling and painting it on, rolling it and uh, Sorry, my dog has decided she wants to bark at something. So anyways. Um, I mean, I've had a door slightly twist on me a little bit after using, you know, a water-based paint and, and primer. But I've never had a cup like, you know, like Mike is mentioning. Yeah. Um, and he mentions that after glue up and sanding, he takes a straight edge and it's perfect. Um, right. Yeah, I've never had a, a, a frame and panel door cup. I had it twist a little bit on me. Sure. But yeah. never <clears throat> cup. Yeah. I've had so, I mean, I don't. Too. The only thing I could think of, Mike, is hang the door. And you know, paint both sides of it, or yeah, that's yeah. good idea. At that's, the same time, and you know, it'd be a little difficult when you're rolling it on. But you know, I've seen a lot of guy, a lot of uh, finishers uh, put those little eye hooks on the top of the door, mm -hmm. um, and then hang it up like that. No, nah, maybe I've, that might work. I've done stuff with uh, you know the holes where you have the hinges, the cups. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a good idea. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Mike, I hope I hope that helps. I, I, I think the idea of actually um, putting up like what Sean said, putting it vertically and then just doing both sides at the same time, that might alleviate the problem. Might uh, might actually make it a little easier to, to yeah. finish as well. Yeah. Oh, in this case, he's not spraying, but still he can yeah finish both sides. Mm. So. All right. Sean uh, Guy. No, we're back to Guy. Back to me. Question. Yep. Sure. Nope. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this question is from Matt in Alabama. 
Do you know uh, Matt? Well, hold on. Please? Let me see here. Which Matt? I don't know. It says Matt in Alabama. Doesn't everybody in Alabama know everybody else? Well, it's not that small, guy. It's not that small? I thought <laughs> it had a small. real small town feel to it. Yeah. Anyways, so he says, hey, guys, I'm working on building tabletops for four or five pieces of living room furniture. I wanted to know if I should install something underneath the tops of the coffee and console tables, like two metal U-channels to keep the tops flat. The coffee top, the coffee table top will be about four by two feet and the console top will be two by five feet or maybe six feet. I'm using various hardwoods cut into long strips with different widths like a cutting board or maybe like a butcher block also. Anyways, my plantamone for the coffee top is to glue it up into two halves and use dowels to join the two. I also plan to use Z-clips to secure the tops of the bases. Thanks for sharing your experience with us, Matt in Alabama. So, <clears throat> first of all, it sounds like he's building, you know, they, they almost sound like they're, like I said before, uh, butcher block, which actually are going to be really super stable. Yeah. Even if you didn't do that, let's say you were using regular flat sawn lumber and, you know, they're, the boards are six inches wide. Yep. This whole thing of, putting U channels and steel channels and angle iron and all this other crap is completely and totally unnecessary on just about anything. Mm-hmm. We call at work, we call them battens mm-hmm. and we use angle iron yep. that we groove into the back of, of some of our big tables because mm-hmm. the tables don't have aprons. The whole right. flat. Right. And the thought is that these battens or these steel pieces of steel that are, you know, better than an eighth inch thick will prevent the top from bowing. Right. Got news for you. If the top wants to move, it's going to move. It's going to take that piece of steel right with it. I've seen Crazy. it. I've yeah. seen it. I've seen tops turn into potato chips that have three or four pieces of steel underneath them. Doesn't matter. If the top is going to move, it's going to move. Do not waste your time with any of that crap, Matt in Alabama. Don't believe any of the hype. Just use your Z-clips, secure it to the apron. They're only two feet wide. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. And especially if he's uh, gluing it up like a butcher block top, that's going to be really stable. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I get a lot. To. I get a lot of crap at work because every time I I see these guys putting these battens on, don't waste your time. Why are you doing this? Why are you <laughs> doing this? Well, because no, it, it's a waste of time. Don't even bother. And then some of these tabletops come back and they're twisted up. It's like, well, see, I told you. They still don't listen to me. Yeah. What do I know? It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Sean, what do you think? Um, I've. I use battens on things like um, blanket chest lids that I do not put uh, the breadboards on. Um, but yeah, it, if the if the table design has aprons and you're using Z clips to secure the top to the bases, I can't see a reason to use the uh, the U channels in the fact. And also, you're using such narrow pieces and gluing them together. If you get that glue up right and you flatten it out. 
I can't really see why it would move much, if at all. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have more movement, you know, obviously the wider the board is and, and whatnot, you know, right. like I'm looking at my, again, I'll keep bringing it up the desk that I'm at right now. It's a, it's every bit of two feet wide and five or six feet long. And it's put together with two boards, two 12 inch wide boards and mm. underneath the table design uh, underneath that it's, it's held down with what I would consider well, another Z clips on what I consider what look like battens, but it's just part of the leg construction, but they're just held down with Z clips and zero movement. If you start, you know, start out with lumber, that's, you know, not super crazy twisted and right. you mill it up, you glue it together. You don't put too much pressure on the clamps. It comes out flat. You sand it, your Z clips. I, I can't, especially with the butcher block type top, I don't see the need for it. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I've got nothing to add. Butcher block top should be stable enough. You've yeah. got a coffee table and top. Oh. If you've got some form of apron, shouldn't be a problem. A lot of this this thing with the, the, the iron U channels has come from people that do a lot of slab work. Yeah. And a lot of slabs, when they do that, they're not using wood bases. They're using metal bases. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the full support that a normal wood base would have. They're just maybe a single point of contact or whatever. But there's nothing that really keep the the tabletop down to the base. Right. So they put these U channels in there to help mitigate the, the the chance of it curving and turning Rolling into potato chip. Yeah. Uh, but again, I've seen I've seen slabs do it. I've seen tops do it. They just take those metal. It takes those metal battens right with it. Wow. That's crazy. I'm sure it's helped in some cases, but yeah. I, I really, I'm, I am not a believer in them. Hmm. So there you go. That's my, but that is my opinion. There are a lot of people who will say I am an idiot. You know, in my that opinion is, is opinion. if you got aprons and you're using Z clips, there's no need. If you don't, yeah. and it's a wide open base, you're not going to hurt anything by adding them. Sure Better not. safe than sorry is my opinion. It may not help, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah, for for what he's working with, which two feet wide, I don't think it's going to be a problem. It's, it's not going to need him, and especially if he's laminating it up like a butcher block. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not happen. saying this, but I'm saying in general, doesn't sure, hurt sure. to add him. Sure, he doesn't. Matt doesn't need him, but you can't hurt anything by adding him. If you need him, if you think you need him, but the, this this setup, he doesn't need him. Right. So I think. Who's got Sean? Uh, Sean has next question. Yep. yep. All, right. All right. This is my last question. It's from Eric. Hi, I want to start using SketchUp and wondering if you guys had any tips on coming up to speed with the app. Did any of you take any training or know of some good video series? I'm fairly tech savvy. We'll be using Windows PC and Android devices. Thank you for your down to earth, real world views. By far the best podcast out there. Well, we appreciate that. Um, let's see. So I started learning or I started using and I guess started learning SketchUp probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And I found a a website SketchUp for woodworkers, which I will link to in the, in the show notes. Um, or there'll be a link in there to a YouTube playlist, but you know, it, it just goes over the basics. I think building a bookcase, and, you know, the, the basics of that software with building a bookcase 
can apply for pretty much a lot of other basic projects. Um, and there's another couple of playlists that I'll put in there from Jay Bates where he goes over the playlist has 40 videos, I think of uh, real quick how to's. And there's also a longer format video where he shows making like a, a, a base cabinet. Um, but uh, in my opinion, start with learning one of these uh, by following the tutorial, but then immediately start uh, building your own projects and 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 uh, you know stay at it and practice it as much as you can to become comfortable with the keyboard shortcuts to understand how to move the camera around, how to do this, how to do that um, in the software. Because if you watch the videos and you never use it, you're not going to pick it up. You know, you're going to have to. Uh, use it over and over and over. And SketchUp is way, way easier to, to learn, in my opinion, than something like Fusion 360. Yeah. Uh, you're just drawing, pretty much drawing boxes and doing push-pull and and whatnot. The, the first project that I started on after I learned from the SketchUp from, for woodworkers is a, a basic table. You know, it's, it takes a project like a basic table, uh, you know, draw the four legs, draw the aprons, draw uh, the drawer front. If you have one, you don't have to have a drawer front. Keep it simple. Draw a top. And then, you know, from there, you've got a basic table. You understand how to push pull, how to, you know, set the dimensions of stuff. And then you can say step two could be, all right, I got a basic table. Let me add a, a dovetail drawer. Let me add a taper to the leg. Uh, let me add a chamfer to the top. And then just keep building on these fundamentals until you get really comfortable with it because, it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of effort to get comfortable with this software. I mean, you're going to always Google how do I do this, how do I do that. I've been using it for six or seven years. I'm by no means a professional, but I Google stuff all the time: how to do this, how to do that. Uh, and and Google is your friend with that. And another another thing that I like to do, uh, and it may be common sense, but when you start to learn SketchUp, uh, there is something called the 3D Warehouse. Uh, and inside of that were, are models that people upload and share that you can download and open up in SketchUp to, I use it to dissect and it's really awesome in determining the, the size of things, the size of aprons, the, the, you know, the dimensions and, and all that stuff. And, and it's, uh, it's really good with not only that, but showing you how they did the joinery for certain things. If you don't have books that we've discussed in the past about, uh, how to design furniture, and I'm not saying only use this as a reference, but there are some really good uh, profiles on this 3D warehouse, like Popular Woodworking has it. I think Fine Woodworking has a profile, but you'll notice a few of these, you know, big woodworking, you know, established companies or whatever you want to call them, um, platforms, I guess. They release a lot of 3D SketchUp models in the warehouse that you can download and, you know, dissect just to see how they did it. But that combined with, you know, you really need to do to, to draw in the software as, as often as possible to to build that muscle memory and, you know, sketch up for woodworkers and the Jay Bates videos. And then there's just just go to YouTube and search for stuff. I mean, you're going to find a lot of good tutorials. But at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff you're going to design is just the same. You're drawing boxes, you're pushing and pulling. And it's, you know, it's pretty much all the same stuff, just in a different dimension, different size, different, you know, different type of, uh, of furniture, a table. Uh, there's no, really no difference between like an end table, a coffee table, a desk, uh, right. a bookcase. They're just drawing a bunch of boxes and putting them together. And when you learn the probably five or six basic tools and how to use the 
shortcuts on the keyboard and how to use your mouse to move around. I mean, you'll be at it in no time, but we'll, we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes on this and uh, it's definitely worth, worth learning. And, and I don't think there's been a single project in many years that I've uh, done in the shop that I didn't at least sort of go at it with in SketchUp. I will go from either a full blown uh, plans in SketchUp or just a rough, rough drawing in there just to get uh, an idea of what it's going to look like. But then I go build it, but it's a very, very handy tool to have. For sure. Uh, we guy, how often do you guys use SketchUp? You sketch up quite a bit. Yeah. And so I don't know if we're talking about the same thing, but I have, uh, I had bought maybe a couple years ago, SketchUp for woodworkers. I think they call on, it the same thing. It's on Udemy. Uh, at the time, I think it was like nine ninety nine. And it, it's a pretty in-depth course. Like he, he go, the person, Simon Rodway, goes through the process like nuts to bolts, dovetails, grooves, uh, fitted lid, the whole nine yards to making this um, very intricate keepsake box. And it teaches you everything from, like I said, dovetails, grooves, uh, uh, fitted drawer, all that stuff. It's really great. I, I highly recommend it. It was like nine or ten bucks at the time, I think think it's fifteen dollars now oh yeah that's expensive yeah oh my you know i honestly i think that a lot of people use that SketchUp for woodworkers because the the site that i'm talking about is way older than that video uh series but that doesn't mean anything right right the basic tools are pretty much the same but guy how often are you using i think you use it more for roughing like getting an idea for dimensioning and not necessarily yeah. like design, right? Exactly. I don't get, I don't get really super granular with it. The, 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 the site that I learned how to use SketchUp is, I mean, it's literally called sketchupforwoodworkers.com. Yep. That's what I'm talking it's put about. put out by a guy named Zach Hall. It's stuff has okay. been out there for a long time. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And it's, there's, uh, I'm looking at the website right now. One, two, three, four. Seven. He's got seven different tutorials mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. or sections. I don't know. There's, I think there's more than one or two videos to each section. But anyways, I learned how to use SketchUp with that website. And I don't, let me put it this way. Let's say I'm making a, a cabinet with drawers. I may use it to figure out drawer dimensions, things like that. I don't bother putting dovetail joints in the drawers, even if I'm putting dovetails in. It's not necessary. Is right, it? right. I mean, no. it, well, I mean, it depends on what you're using it for. If you're giving right. them away as free plans, yes. If you're not, you only need it yeah, well, for so what you you're can't, doing. You can't use SketchUp and make plans and sell them. Oh, sure. You, you, have, you have to buy the you have to buy the commercial license. Yeah, which yeah. is really got yeah. awful expensive. Wink, wink. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> that's going to physically stop you if you if you decide to give them away to friends and family, not sell them. Yes, yeah. you you are correct. Um, anyway, so um, I I do use SketchUp. I use it quite a bit, but it's mostly to figure out things when I'm having problems. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's times when I need to figure out an angle, let's say. And I, instead of doing a full-size drawing on my bench, they actually finally got me a, a, a laptop at work. <clears throat> and I put SketchUp on it and I use it 
quite often, but now they're, they're having me do drawings and stuff for uh, some of the projects we're, we're, we're working on for the customers to get approval for them. Um, oh, wow. Oh, they're really rudimentary. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am not a, an expert in SketchUp by any stretch of the imagination. However, just knowing the basics, like Sean said, how to use the push-pull, how to use follow me, how to create yeah. arcs, how to create curves, how to do things like that, it's all really important. And once you get used to using it, it's actually pretty easy. Yeah. It only gets really weird when you start doing a lot of angles and curved work because it doesn't really lend itself very well to that. Mm. And it has a hard time filling in planes and other things. Anyways, but for regular rectangular or box-like work, it's it's actually really easy to use. Um, so there you go. Yeah, you'll use the same set of tools for the same five or six tools for pretty much 99% of the work you do until you get some advanced stuff. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's rare that I go outside of maybe three or four tools. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've found that the, the three to five tools that I use the most, knowing the shortcuts for them, that that's like the easiest that's makes using SketchUp a lot easier and faster. Yeah, I can't tell you what those are. It's just second nature when I open SketchUp. It's like my fingers say, okay, rectangle, R, R. this, push, yeah. pull, this, that. But yeah, I think now, I well, don't quote me on this because I've had the 2017 version for at least four years. <laughs> but yeah. I think now it's only all, you, you can only access it online. I don't know. Cloud-based. Yeah, I don't think there's a way to download it. I don't know if that's good or bad. You can I mean, you can still download the SketchUp Make. 2017, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's called, SketchUp Make. It only works on 64-bit machines. So if you're a 32-bit machine, you are SLL. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, you can still do use their online one for free. Yep. Yeah, the, the one you, you can, can download pay, is, is 2017. You know, yeah, or you can pay their $8 million a year to license it. Yeah, the, the problem with, if there is a problem, is they, they're they probably not going to update their um, 2017 version. No, they won't. They're, they're, they're not going to update So their web base is going to have more options eventually in the future. But, you know, it depends. If you're, if you're making money from it and, you know, you can go uh, $2.99 a year, for their SketchUp Pro desktop and web. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, I mean, if you're making money and you want it on the desktop, that's, it's not too much money. But either way, uh, yeah, Guy and I, I guess we learn from the same resource. Um, That's the one that I learned from too. I mean, it's just the same stuff over and over and over and over and over and over. You're drawing boxes, you're pushing, pulling it, and that's all you're doing. Uh, You know, rail and style, it's a rectangle. You push, pull, you got to, you know, I mean, it's real basic. Um, I'd, I'd say you're not going to have any issues picking it up, but yeah. definitely and learn it. At one point you could actually buy SketchUp outright and not have to pay a yearly. Golly, $300 a year. I mean, if you're, if you're making money, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. I mean, sense. Adobe creative cloud is like three times that or twice that or something. Yeah. yeah. A year. 
Yeah. Ten dollars a month. Charge well, charge it depends if you get the full the full bundle of it. It's like sixty bucks a month. Oh wow. Yeah, that's okay. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yep. I think you have the last question, we. I'm sorry, I'm 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 the control freak tonight. No, no, it's okay. Sorry. It's all right. It's all good. See, I don't care like Sean cares a lot more. Well I care too. Uh, <laughs> All right, so this is from Tim in North Carolina. I know it's best to plane, joint, etc. with the grain, rubbing the cat from head to tail instead of tail to head. I have trouble determining which direction the grain is running. Any foolproof pointers? Thanks for the best woodworking podcast around. You're very generous, Tim. Uh, great podcast. Thanks for all the information. So my foolproof pointer is go to the joiner or with your hand plane. Get a board, look at the grain, and run across it. See how it feels when you're running the board across. Listen to it and see if whether or not you're getting any tear out, chip out, whatever you want to call it. But if you're not getting a clean cut, then flip the board around and see the grain direction. See if the cut becomes so better. You use a hand plane to determine the direction. No, a hand plane or just going straight to the machine. Oh, and okay. and putting the board, you know, just putting the board to the machine and and just experimenting, you're going to learn really fast what direction the grain is going in. You're going to look at that grain. You're going to say, "Oh, okay, I get it." Because we can talk talk about it, but until you actually put the board to the machine, at least it was for me. Until I actually put the board to the machine and I got that chatter and I got that chip out at the end of the cut, especially coming through the planer. That's when I really learned, oh, okay, I got to flip this board around. This is the direction that it needs to go into. This is how the cathedral looks. Th these are what the cathedral looks like when I'm going in the wrong direction through the planer versus the right direction going through the planer. At least for me, that was the best way for me to learn. Sean, any tips, tricks? If anything I'm, that... Yeah, if I'm edge jointing, I will hold the board up like I'm going to edge join it. Look at mm -hmm. it, look at the side, I guess it would be the face. Yep. And just try to best determine, you know, being able to, you know, um, plane from head to tail instead of tail to head. And, mm -hmm. you know, nine times out of 10, I can get it. But if it's a, if it's just a board that's very hard to read, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, ways that you can take, I think I've heard like someone saying, take a stocking and run it up and down the board and you'll <laughs> feel a difference and, you know take a toothbrush. No, I'm just playing, but no, that did, I did hear about taking a stocking and this and that, but ultimately, you know, I just hit it with a hand plane on a very light pass, feel it, look at it. And that's why when I cut a board like to width, I always cut it a little over because I like to, I like to finesse it with the hand plane, uh, to, uh, yeah. to remove any mill marks or any, anything off of that. So I like to cut it over and, but I always take, look at the board, hit it with a hand plane, and I'm often right, but you can look at the grain of the board on the side or the face rather when you're edge joining, you can determine which way is uphill, which way is downhill. And, um, you know, just try it. And then if it doesn't work, flip it around and, and go to town on it. But sometimes if you get stubborn grain, that's, you know, going both ways and yeah. interlocking grain or whatever, you know, I've, I've, I've used the, uh, denatured alcohol mixed with a little bit of water trick let it wipe yeah. it on there it works great um but yeah that's what i do guy what do you what do you teach your guys 
we don't even talk about grain direction. Oh, really? Yeah, we've got helical cutters on all our machines. Mm-hmm. I still get it. I still get tear out with the helical head. Not with the wood we're using. It's mostly we are not using highly figured wood or anything like that. We're using ash, maple, uh, walnut. That's it. So, and it's mostly ash, and mo- mostly ash and maple. So unless there's some kind of figure to the to the maple, it doesn't right. matter. If you if you really want <clears throat> if you have straight knives on your your joiner or your planer, you can't just throw boards in there willy nilly. And you you're right that Sean that <clears throat> even with helical heads there can be tear out and things like that. But I said it's usually the figured stuff that causes you nightmare. And you can just wet it down with a little DNA and water, as you had mentioned. Yeah. But if you're using straight knives, the, the way I always did it was I looked at the side of the board. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell which way, because the cathedrals don't tell you anything. So you can tell by looking at the side of the board if the grain is running straight down the board, if it's going up, it's going down. Which way the grain is is running, you can see that right on the side of the board. And sometimes you can tell when there's like a switchback, like half the board is going one way and half of it's going the other way. Those are the ones that always give you fits. And there's quite yep. a bit of it out there. You'd be yeah. surprised. You get a, an eight foot board. Doesn't necessarily mean the grain's going to be running all the way the same way on the board that that long that long. So. Um, I always just looked at the side of the board. I never tried using the stocking trick, which is kind of creepy, actually. Um, I've heard of that before. Yeah. Um, You're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I keep one in every corner of the shop. Um, as I've never tried any of the weird stuff. I've always just, I was taught just to look at the side of the board. Yeah. And sometimes you're just running the boards that you, I don't care which way you can flip it 75 different ways and you're still going to get tear out. Yep. Sometimes it's just a a battle that you're going to have to fight. Yep. And that's when you throw it away and get another board. (laughs) Yeah. It's usually what I do. Especially if you use use a lot of hand tools, you know, a really good example, if you've ever used like real Honduran mahogany Uh and you plane that stuff the wrong way, boy, you're going to know it fast because these big, huge divots will just appear and just, it's like, oh, damn it. Because it's a, it's a fairly soft wood. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you got to be, you know, if you're using hand tools on stuff, you got to be playing in the, the right way or you're right. going to have lots of issues. Um, and as, as I guess I'm saying it also depends on the type of wood you're using. Mm-hmm. So, and how much figures in that wood. So. Yeah, there's nothing worse than having a board that's really close to the final width and maybe it's a in the box sides and you're like, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and try to hit it with a hand plane to, you know, to level it out after gluing it up. And then you get a a tear out and it's just so it's deep, just deep enough that you're like, Oh man, yeah, that's not going to be easy to fix. I'm going to be hand planing for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you won't get another tear out on it. Exactly. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, try something else like a you know using sandpaper on a flat flat board and ugh, yeah tear out is not fun yeah mm-hmm. well i think 
that wraps up this show, or at least the questions. Let's go into what we've got going on in our own shops. And we're going to go with Guy first, since you started us off with the questions. Um, well, uh, in my in my shop at home, I finally finished all the uh, finish prep on my desk. So hopefully this weekend, I will start spraying. I'm going to put two or three coats of shellac on. And then I'm going to put two or three coats of the, probably three or more coats of the conversion varnish, but probably two, at least two coats of shellac on it first. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can probably more than likely get all that done in one weekend. Nice. So nice. that'll make me very happy. What about, about- you, uh, Sean? Um, I've been working on the, the CNC and I've been knocking out those pick guards. I think it's what they're called. Yeah. Pick guards. I don't know. Pick guards is what the, he's calling them. He's calling them. I'm pretty sure they're pick guards. Maybe they're, that's yeah, the no. same thing. I don't, I don't deal with guitars. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, Farnsworth guitars mm-hmm. on Instagram. And, um, so that took me some time, you know, it's, uh, it, it wasn't, it was 10 of them. I think I ended up cutting them out, but I got sidetracked with some other stuff and I still need to finish up that box. I got, I had to get a, a special router bit in for the hinge, not special, just a five sixteenths, which is special to me because I don't keep that size on hand. Yeah, um, but I just need to route it and then that'll be done. And then, uh, yeah, go from there. But oh. that's my weekend, past couple weekends have just been CNC time. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. And I, that's I not really woodwork. We're discussing woodworking here, Sean. <laughs> yeah, no, not, yeah. You got to get a true woodworker on here, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's been, that's been what I've been up to is uh, CNC time. Nice. We? I finished shaping the base assembly to this trestle table conference table that I'm working on. And uh, I've got the stretchers all done with for it as well. I need to put, I need to install the um, tray, which will house some of the electronics for it. And then I can start work on the tabletop. So it's actually kind of moving along faster than I expected, but is, is still going to be solid. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is going to be solid. Uh, one and five eighths inch. <laughs> How yeah. long is it? Twelve foot. You realize that thing is going to weigh eight thousand pounds. Yeah. Wait. I do. Solid wood, twelve foot long. Yep. How wide? Uh, at the widest, four foot. One and five eighths. Yeah. It's and be heavy. What is this? A big slab you've got? No, no, no. They're they're boards. Wow, we make tops you? like we make tops like this all the, right now. I'm in the process of making a 14 footer. Oh my goodness! Yeah, but you got a lot of help, right? Well, I shouldn't say a lot of help. I don't, you got make, like, the, I don't make the tops. Okay. I got peeps for that. So you I, got make, peeps. I make I make the bases. Yeah, but I I have helped make those tops before, and they're they're in just a nightmare. Yeah. And well, I, thankfully, I already had uh, the materials already milled up edge jointed for glue ready edge by uh the company that i bought them from okay well hopefully so, they'll, they'll maintain that that's the biggest problem so. is getting a a glue, glue line 
Yeah, blue line. Uh, so it's, it's, it's hard to join a board that big. Yeah, yeah it's. I, uh, I would imagine that's going to be yep. straight. I'm going to ha- go ahead. I'm going to have to hell of help. Yep. Yep. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, because once you got it set up in your shop, it's not. It's not moving. I'd yeah. I'd put it on some kind of cart yep. system where you can roll it around. Because otherwise, if you put it on like your your tabletop, no, nope, it's not going to move. Mm-hmm. You, you'll you'll never be able to move it. Yep. So, I mean, I'll need help to move it, but yeah, no, you're right. I know. And, and don't be asking your wife because she'll no. she'll say, "Screw nope, you." get friends Screw over. You, we. No. She would. Never, uh, she would never say hopefully that. Hopefully, I got good neighbors. No, I, I know this is it. That's making the base assembly was not the difficult part. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, that's what I've got going on. Uh, And I think that wraps up this show. So please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. And we really need your questions. Like Guy said at the beginning of the show, uh, please send your woodworking questions to us through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com. Or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who's left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Guy, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at guy at Guy's Woodshop on Instagram. And Sean, where can we find you? At Simple Cove on Instagram. And uh, I looked at our uh, reviews and we've not had any on the iTunes <gasps> and uh, I think we only had two reviews this entire year. Oh for my th- goodness. Yeah. So uh, these people that love our show, are you going on iTunes? And so be sure to help us out and give us some reviews. Yes, please do. All right. Great. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. See you guys. See ya. Bye. See ya. <laughs>